watching TYT. I'm your host, Anna Kasparian. Jane Guerrero will be joining me in the second segment of the show. But right at the top, we have some election related news to get to. So I'm going to talk a little bit about some of the mixed messaging we're getting from various polls that have come out in regard to the general election. How would Biden do in a matchup against Donald Trump? One poll says something. Somewhat positive for Biden, another poll, not so much. So we're gonna get into the details of that. Later in the first segment, we're also gonna talk a little bit about how there is increased organizing among the Arab and Muslim community in Michigan, specifically Dearborn. And they're organizing to basically dissuade people from voting in favor of Joe Biden. So some people might have some strong feelings about that. But of course, they are very much motivated by Biden's handling of the ongoing war in Gaza. So we'll talk about that a little bit as well. Later on in the show though, we are going to one of the most insane stories. We're gonna talk about the son of an Israeli diplomat who intentionally ran over a cop in Florida and might not deal with any charges because apparently if you are the son of a diplomat, Florida state laws don't apply to you. That is a literal argument that's being made. So we'll get to that in the second hour of the show. But before we get to any of that, just want to encourage you all to like and share the stream if you're watching us live. You can also help to support us by becoming a member. Members help to keep us independent from corporate influence or any type of corporate sponsorship that goes against our messaging and what we're trying to accomplish here at TYT. Members also get all sorts of perks, including members only specials and the daily bonus episode, which airs immediately after our main show. You can become a member by going to tyt.com slash join or you can become a member by clicking on that join button if you're watching us on YouTube. With that all said, let's get to the first story. The, the trends here may be changing because President Trump, former President Trump has been leading national poll after national poll over President Biden for the last couple of weeks. but. Not in this one, and maybe it's an outlier, maybe it's not. But That's an outlier though, right? Because eight other polls show the opposite. We'll see. It could be an outlier, or that could be the start of a new trend, we don't know. Is the Biden campaign finally starting to turn things around? If you take a look at the latest Quinnipiac poll, you could possibly make that argument. Because for the first time in a while, they show that President Joe Biden is leading Donald Trump by a pretty large margin. But don't get too excited too soon because another poll that came out a day before had very different results. So let's get into the Quinnipiac poll. It shows that Biden is in fact leading Donald Trump by a whopping six points. That's not a small amount. Biden holds a lead over Trump 50 to 44% among registered voters in a hypothetical general election matchup. According to a Quinnipiac University National Poll of Registered Voters. In Quinnipiac University's December 20th, 2023 poll, the same hypothetical 2024 general election matchup was too close to call as President Biden received 47% of the vote and former President Trump received 46% of the vote. So that was within the margin of error, which is plus or minus 1%. The same goes for the more recent Quinnipiac poll. And so according to Quinnipiac, Biden has been able to increase his lead against Donald Trump pretty significantly compared to last month. It is being referred to as an outlier poll because we have now seen over the last several months that poll after poll shows 
Trump trailing, or I'm sorry, uh, Biden trailing Trump um, by, depending on which poll you're looking at, a certain number of percentage points. And when you take a look at what Biden would need to accomplish uh, on a national level in the polling, he would need to beat Trump by at least five points uh, to secure a win. Now, women might end up being the people who save Biden at the end of the day. And this is probably one of the reasons why you'll hear a lot of conservative talking heads, either on cable media or even in digital media, just going on and on about how women are the problem. It's because they're not married. Once they get married, they become more conservative, even though that's not necessarily what happens, but they think that women are a problem. And when you look at this poll, you can see why. Women. 58 to 36% support Biden, according to the Quinnipiac poll, up from December when it was 53 to 41%. Men though, you see a little bit of a reversal. So men 53 to 42% support Trump, largely unchanged from December when it was 51 to 41%. Now, we'll see what happens. I, I feel, I still feel uneasy in regard to Biden's performance in these polls, even the more recent poll from Quinnipiac. Because remember, this Quinnipiac poll is simply polling likely registered voters. They're not focusing on swing states, they're just focusing on how Biden is performing in a matchup against Donald Trump, nationally speaking. And Steve Ducey presented other interesting tidbits from this Quinnipiac survey, especially when you consider the impact of third party candidates and how Biden would do in a matchup, not with Donald Trump, but rather Nikki Haley. Let's take a look. This poll does have Haley doing better against Biden than Trump. She has got him, according to Quinnipiac, by five, 47 to 42 nationally. But this is a matchup that's unlikely to happen based on current polling that puts Trump way ahead of her in primary states that she needs at the moment. And we may also have an answer to the question, who do third party candidates hurt? Ultimately, according to this poll, they hurt Trump because both Biden and Trump lose support when polled against the major third parties, but Biden still wins in this poll. Uh, and if RFK Jr. continues playing in 14%, he is certainly going to be a spoiler for one candidate or another because that is a huge percentage of the voting public. So interestingly enough, if the matchup were between Nikki Haley and Joe Biden, RFK Jr. dropping out would actually end up helping Biden rather than Nikki Haley. And the reason for that would be because of the fact that Nikki Haley is a brand of, you know, Republican politics, so-called neoconservatives that I think the average Republican voter has really moved away from. And I can understand why that would be the case. You know, you have to keep in mind that after lengthy wars in the Middle East, lengthy wars that a lot of, you know, current voters either had family members fighting in in multiple deployments or they themselves had fought in in multiple deployments. They don't want more war. So when they hear the hawkish rhetoric coming from the likes of Nikki Haley, they are not interested in that messaging, which is why in my opinion, it's not so shocking that Nikki Haley hasn't been able to garner enough support to be a genuine threat to Donald Trump. Some people in the right are still holding on to hope, holding on to the notion that the Republican Party can go back to its pre-MAGA days. I'm 
really not in the camp of thinking that's possible. But crazier things have happened, so I guess we'll see. But for now, it does seem to be a likely matchup between Joe Biden and Donald Trump. Now, with all that said, I do want to just note that RFK Jr. right now is hurting Trump because he's kind of skimming from the support that Trump would get if RFK Jr. were not running. So even if you believe in this Quinnipiac poll and you think, okay, I'm, there's a comfortable Biden lead now, we can rest easy. Okay, but we don't know what the wild card situation of RFK Jr. will be. And if he does decide to drop out and is no longer a factor in this race, well, then it's likely that his support will consolidate behind Donald Trump, thus increasing his performance and potentially giving him enough of a lead to beat Biden. So it's still too close for comfort in my opinion. And what makes the situation even more uncomfortable for those who are concerned about another Trump term is that a day before Quinnipiac came out with this poll, they there was another poll done by Morning Consult with Bloomberg and the results were not good. Especially because this particular poll focused mainly on swing states. And we all know that at the end of the day, the outcome of the election is not dependent on the popular vote. It's dependent on the performance that these candidates have in the swing states. So basically, a new set of swing state polls from Bloomberg and Morning Consult suggests that the former president, Donald Trump, would comfortably beat Joe Biden if the 2024 election were held today. And this is kind of in line with a previous story we did on the New York Times Siena College poll, which showed Trump beating Biden in almost every single swing state. At that time, that was considered an outlier, but that has now been reinforced by this poll done by Morning Consult. So let's get to the results. According to the seven separate surveys conducted in North Carolina, Nevada, Georgia, Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Arizona, Trump boasts leads in every single one. So according to Morning Consult, Trump is actually performing better in all of these swing states, even compared to the Siena College New York Times poll, because that poll showed Biden leading in at least one of the swing states. That's not the case with this morning console poll. So let's look at the results, starting with North Carolina, which shows Trump with a 10 point lead over Biden. Then you go to Nevada, Trump has an eight point lead over Biden. Georgia, again, Trump has an eight point lead over Biden. Let's take a look at the rest of the states. In Wisconsin, Trump still has a lead, five points. Same with Michigan, Trump has a lead of five points. Michigan is the least surprising to me when you take into account the large Arab American and Muslim voting block there that has soured on Biden. I'm wondering if that has factored into the results in Michigan. Then you go to Pennsylvania where Trump has a slightly smaller lead, 3%. Same with Arizona, Trump has a 3% lead over Biden in that state as well. And Morning Consult had done the same poll just a month prior and Unfortunately, Trump has increased his lead when you compare this month's results to the results that were released last month. So let's take a look at that. All right, so last month, the poll showed that 
Trump had a four point lead over Biden in Wisconsin, a six point lead over Biden in Georgia, a four point lead over Biden in Michigan. So he was still leading, but the numbers were smaller. In Pennsylvania, Trump had a two point lead. In Nevada, three point lead over Biden. In North Carolina, Trump had a nine point lead over Biden. And in Arizona, Trump had a four point lead over Biden. So when you focus specifically on the battleground states, the results are not good. They are concerning to say the least. And the fact of the matter is we all know that Biden is an incredibly vulnerable candidate to go up against Donald Trump. When you go back to the results of the 2020 presidential election, the general election, there were some swing states where Biden yes won, but he didn't win by much. And the sentiment in the country today is just different from what it was in 2020. There were a lot of Americans who soured on Donald Trump at the time because of his handling of the coronavirus pandemic. That sentiment has faded away and some of the foibles that we've seen in the Biden administration, namely his handling of the migrant crisis, his unwavering support for Israel regardless of what it does in the Gaza Strip. Those are things that start to really chip away at the vote Democratic voting base. Because remember the migrant crisis, I think for the first time, maybe in a long time, you have it impacting some of these big blue cities due to the busing program that, that Greg Abbott had engaged in. And so once you have the members of the Democratic base seeing what the migrant crisis means within their own cities and how much that is straining their resources and how difficult it's been for them. Well, then all of a sudden they're forced to really reconsider whether the Biden administration has handled immigration appropriately. They might. And I do believe they still are in favor of immigration, but they see that the system has kind of broken down and reforms need to be made. And while a lot of that really does fall on Congress, it's better for Congress to pass comprehensive legislation that the president then signs. Usually the voters place the blame on the president, not Congress. And so we'll see how this all plays out. Again, we're getting mixed messages. We have two different polls that say two different things. But one of them hones in on the swing states. And in that poll, Biden is doing poorly. And so it is cause for concern. We'll see how it all plays out and we'll give you more details and updates as more polls come out for the general election. Kind of elaborate more on what I had talked about briefly in the previous story. The Arab and Muslim community in Michigan organizing around dissuading people from supporting Joe Biden. Arab and Muslim voters in critical in the critical swing state of Michigan are now actively organizing against Joe Biden due to his unwavering support of Israel and its war on Gaza. Now some Michigan Arabs and Muslims have launched an abandoned Biden campaign, part of a broader national movement still getting off the ground to ensure that those in their community show up to cast their vote, but not for Biden. So this is a little different from previous coverage we've done in regard to you know the Arab American and Muslim American community in Michigan, because it was more you know 
fragmented, disconnected. You didn't really have a movement that was organizing around this cause. But now there is a movement organizing around this cause. And they're trying to really figure out what their strategy is gonna be, right? Because at first you heard from Arab Americans who said, we're maybe not even gonna show up to vote for president in the general election. Others considered a third party. In this case, it appears that they want to show up and vote for someone. They don't wanna vote for Trump, they don't wanna vote for Biden. So I guess they might write someone in or vote for a third party candidate. But the point in showing up to vote is to make it clear that they do not want to vote for Biden. Simply not showing up would not make that message as clear as they would want. So after a Friday prayer at the Islamic Center of Detroit last week, abandoned Biden co-chairs Khalid Tarani and Samra Lachman made an announcement about their effort urging congregates to show up and vote in a way that ensures Biden does not retain the presidency. Tarani told those gathered they had no right to complain if they did not make their voices heard. And listen guys, I totally understand for those of you who are concerned about another Trump term, I can understand why you would see this organizing and think that it's a really bad idea because Trump could very well be worse than Biden on this matter. And, and I think that there is cause for concern. I think there is reason to believe that. But for, and I understand this deeply, I really do. For Arab American voters, for Muslim American voters, seeing what's happening in Gaza and seeing Biden's unwavering support toward Israel as it does what it's doing in Gaza, like raising the Gaza Strip, you know, displacing the majority of the population, the high civilian death toll where two thirds of the individuals killed happen to be women and children. When they see that happening, it what they're experiencing emotionally, mentally goes far beyond thinking about politics strategically. It is a moral concern that runs so deep and you have to understand that. Because it says something about who Biden is. If he could stand back, watch what's happening and really have no genuine concerns about it. And I say no genuine concerns about it because it's one thing to provide some empty talk about how you're concerned about the number of children dying or the high civilian death toll. It's something entirely different to actually put action behind those words and apply pressure to Israel, You know, carrots and sticks, right? If you don't rein this in, if you don't engage in targeted strikes, well, we're gonna, we're gonna rein in our military funding and the weapon we, we provide. See, that would actually message that Biden is genuinely concerned about how Israel is carrying out this war. Simply saying he's concerned, but then he continues to literally go past Congress in order to provide that military funding, it just seems hollow. You get what I'm saying? So Shireen Al-Adimi, who's a Lansing resident and an assistant professor at Michigan State University, spoke to the Washington Post about this and said the following. For decades, we've squandered the power that we have here because Democrats were stringing us along saying, vote for me, we're not the other guy. This is such a dangerous time that we're finally willing to use that card and Biden thinks we're bluffing. You know, she really wants to emphasize, we're not bluffing. We have deep concerns about Biden and we really wanna make that. No, we wanna know that there is a political price to pay. 
if you are unwilling to hold Israel accountable for war crimes that they're committing in the Gaza Strip. Polls also reflect the bigger picture for Biden in the state of Michigan. For instance, Zogby conducted a poll back in October that showed that support for Biden among Arab Americans had plummeted to 17%, down from 59% in 2020. Zogby's poll also found that two thirds of Arab Americans have a negative view of Biden's response to the violence in Israel and Gaza. And if you take a broader look at how Democratic voters are feeling, you know, two thirds of Democratic voters want a ceasefire. I'm just not delusional enough to think that two thirds of Democratic voters would end up not voting or voting against Biden when push comes to shove. But there is some percentage of Democratic voters who see what's happening in Gaza and feel that the, you know, moral qualms they have with it surpass any type of strategic thinking about how Biden would be better than Trump. You get what I'm saying? Like, it, it goes beyond just, you know, trying to pick the lesser of two evils because to them, the issue of innocent people getting slaughtered is the most important issue. And to them, watching Biden support what's happening by sending the bombs, sending the money is just a bridge too far to end up voting for the current president to serve another term. Now, the campaign's organizers, the abandoned Biden campaign, who also oppose Donald Trump have not yet coalesced around a strategy for the general election. They're still debating whether to encourage voters to support a third party or to skip the presidential contest altogether while still voting for other offices. And either way, the organizers, according to the Washington Post, are telling Muslims and Arab voters that they should not that they should show up and vote rather than stay at home. So it is abundantly clear that they're voting against Biden, that they're making their voice as loud as possible to show how their support changed for Biden as a result of this war. The Washington Post also reports that many voters who have not yet heard of the formal you know, abandoned Biden campaign also plan to deny Biden their vote. And they are just as furious as those organizing about Biden's support for Israel. Now. Biden does plan to visit Michigan. I don't know if it's still going to happen, but his plan was to visit Michigan today. And as I shared with you earlier this week, members of the Muslim and Arab community in Michigan had refused to take up a meeting with the campaign manager for the Biden campaign. They said that they have nothing to say to the Biden campaign. Some were willing to meet with Biden, but for the most part, they rejected the meeting. And it was, yes, to send a signal to Biden about where their hearts and minds are at. But they feel that even taking up that meeting, trying to make their case about how Biden's unwavering support is wrong is really not gonna have much of an impact. Because as you guys have seen already, I mean, Biden has been willing to support anything and everything the far right government of Israel is willing to do. Regardless of how much it jeopardizes the stability of that region. I mean, we've already seen how this war is expanding in the Middle East. And he's been willing to support Israel even if it hurts him politically, which is amazing. It really is incredible to see it. So I can understand why Arab American and Muslim American leaders in Michigan have refused to take up that meeting with Biden's campaign manager. And we'll see if Biden meets with them today and what the outcome of that meeting will be. But it's not looking good for Biden. He really can't afford to, to lose a swing state like Michigan. And right now, according to the polls, he is losing Michigan to Donald Trump and he's losing by a lot. 
things can change between now and then, but I really haven't seen much from Biden in terms of changing course policy wise. Anyway, we gotta take a break. When we come back, Jenk will join me for the second segment and the rest of the show. And we'll talk a little bit about a so-called pro-life Republican member of Congress who believes that Palestinian babies getting slaughtered are not so innocent, literally. Back on TYT, Jane Huger, Anna Kasparian with you guys. We've got a lot of stories for you continuing as Anna started obviously in the last segment. Uh, okay, uh, so let's get to it. Casper, you're up. Well, there was a fascinating story that the lever broke uh, that I wanna talk a little bit about. And um, they managed to obtain some documents from an APAC leaker. And uh, these documents uh, give you a sense of who's been donating money to APAC, so let's discuss. The American Israel Public Affairs Committee, also known as APAC, has raised a whopping $90 million in fundraising according to internal records that were reviewed by reporters over at The Lever. So someone within APAC leaked these documents to The Lever so they're able to see who's been donating to APAC since the war broke out in the Gaza Strip. And the results are fascinating to say the least. And this followed a meeting with an Israeli military official, by the way, that reassured potential donors that the IDF was doing everything, everything they could to avoid civilian casualties. Now, as we all know, that is not the case. The two thirds of the people who have been killed are women and children. We've seen mosques, hospitals, refugee camps completely leveled. They're dropping 2,000 pound bombs that we are supplying them here in the United States. And those bombs are not to be used, were not meant to be used in a densely populated part of the world where it's gonna do a lot of damage and kill a lot of innocent people. But that's what Israel's been doing. So what's interesting is I think that that meeting with a you know Israeli military official was really meant to ease their nerves if they were reconsidering donating to APAC due to the high civilian casualties or high number of civilian casualties in the Gaza Strip. But anyway, if that was the point, it seemed to have worked. From January to September of 2023, the non-public documents show that APAC received an average of around $12 million in monthly pledge donations. By contrast, in October alone, the documents show that APAC received more than triple that amount, more than $40 million in pledge donations. In the following two months, donors pledged another nearly $50 million. Now, the donors include elites from many different industries, pro sports team owners. You have heads of private equity firms. You have real estate titans, a Maryland congressman now running for US Senate. The co-founder of the dance exercise company Zumba, which was particularly devastating for me. And the creator of Squishmallows, which is probably Devastating for all you parents out there who have been yep. goaded into buying Squishmallows for your kids. So most of the pledges on the list ranged between $100,000 and $200,000. Around 20 were between $500,000 and $2 million. But there was one individual in particular and his partner who donated $11 million to APAC. We're gonna get to him in just a moment. 
But before we do, and before we get to his denials of donating $11 million to APAC, Jake, what say you about the support toward APAC? Yeah, so I think that APAC needs to be clarified because there's folks who murmur things behind the scenes that are not helpful. And then there are folks who say you're not allowed to talk about APAC if you do by definition it's anti-Semitic. Both camps are absurd, totally nuts if you ask me. So let me tell you what the reality is. So the old anti-Semitic tropes about how Jews control the world, etc. are nonsense. Most Jewish people are not super rich. They and they participate in the political process just like everyone else does, like ExxonMobil does, the NRA, Pfizer, you name it, okay? And they've got every right to do it. And some of the people on the list seem like they're good guys like Josh Harris, no new owner of the commanders, has done a lot of positive things, etc. right? Now, having said that, if you say then you take the establishment point of view and you go to the opposite extreme and you say, no, they have no influence at all. And the politicians don't care about the money that they're spending. I mean, you're like, you're a bona fide lunatic if you think that. I mean, you should, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. So, <laughs> I mean, you don't think that politicians care about $90 million that's gonna go in one direction or another? You don't think John Fetterman considered it before he decided that he was gonna support Israel 100% during the last campaign? Well, if you think that, you literally don't know the news. Yeah, so I think that's what's important to just briefly focus on. For anyone who maybe is unfamiliar with APAC or what they use the money for, Cenk, what do they use that money for? Why do they fundraise? Yeah, and they're not shy about it. They yeah. say, this is for Israel. We want to help a foreign government. And so we give campaign contributions, they would say. And you've heard me say this a 100 times in every context, mainly about corporations, but it's also true in this special interest case. That it's not a campaign contribution, they're not doing it for the general welfare. And in this case, they're very specific and very clear. We are doing it for Israel. And what are they, what are they doing? Just like everyone else, not special, not different. They're buying our politicians. There's no question about it. It's 100%. So one of the things that they did, for example, is Nina Turner was running in Cleveland for a congressional seat. She was up 35 points. But APAC and Democratic Majority for Israel, another very related group, said we're unsure if she sufficiently hates Palestinians. And they found out she doesn't. She thinks Palestinians are human beings. So they set out to destroy her. So they sent, spent $4 million. Now, again, this is a fact. You can confirm it, etc. And if you think that politicians don't care about $4 million, again, you're on a totally different planet. You just lie to your readers and viewers on purpose, right? Yeah. So, and they wore down that 35 million, 35 point lead with $4 million. And as in a tiny little city, I mean, and so Chantel Brown raised her hand and said, I'll be corrupt. I'll do whatever. And she sent out a public letter saying, I'll always support Israel no matter what. And look at that, they backed her and she won. So, and then everyone else got that memo and everybody was got scared. So I'll give you one example of how things, how they make a difference. Brian Mass, who we're gonna talk about later in the show, has said now on a number of occasions that that Palestinian babies and children are not really innocent. And he's compared them to Nazis, babies and children, okay? The house went to censure him. Not only did APAC block it, they got 20 Democrats to flip over and kiss his ass. On the other hand, Rashida Tlaib said, hey, Palestinians should have rights, censure right away, mm-hmm, okay? Mm-hmm. So if you dare defy Israel, there is a very specific lobby who works on behalf of, they're not foreigners, they work on behalf of a foreign government. And again, 
It's in their titles like Democratic Majority for Israel. APAC is for Israel, it's in the title. And they purchase our politicians, just like everyone else does of any religion background, etc. Like any other special any interest. Any other special group. interest, yeah. right? But do they purchase our politicians on behalf of a foreign government? 100% totally undisputed. So now they've got another war chest and they're gonna go tell everybody, if you dare cross another government, you will serve that government. You will serve that government and not your own. And almost all of our politicians will do as they're told. Exactly, okay, so let's get to some of the specific donations because one donor stood out because of the denials in donating money for APAC. So three individuals named on the list denied being donors. That includes Leonid Redvitsky, the billionaire owner of OnlyFans, a hugely popular internet platform dominated by sex workers. According to the internal documents, Radvinsky and his wife, Katie Chudnovsky, pledged $11 million to APAC, the most of anyone listed. So they're literally the top donor in this time period that we're talking about. The pledge was credited to Mr. Anonymous Anonymous and Katie Chudnovsky, okay? The pledge contained personal contact information and a short bio that identified Mr. Anonymous Anonymous as Radvinsky the elusive owner of the content platform OnlyFans. In the March 19th, 2009 edition of the Chicago Tribune, his wife posted an announcement of her wedding to him, to Redvinsky. Okay, so that's how they figured out who Mr. Anonymous is, which honestly was not a difficult thing to figure out. But what's amazing is the lever reaches out to him just to ask, you know, all right, did you made this donation? You know, what's going on? He says, I didn't donate or pledge $11 million. Redvinsky wrote in an email, and this applies to me, my foundation, my family. When the lever asked him why APAC had him listed as a donor, Redvinsky replied, I don't know. When the lever asked Redvinsky to comment on internal APAC documentation showing a wire transfer from his wife to APAC, he stopped responding. I, that is, that is amazing. And I, I mean, why would you deny it? $11 million is not a joke, that's a lot of money, even if you're a billionaire. Like $11 million pledged to one special interest group, you should feel proud to support that special interest group. Why does he feel the need to deny it? Because of course, it's awkward when you're purchasing politicians. So look, I'm gonna give more important caveats because they're real. So number one, I would do the same thing. I just wouldn't do it on behalf of a foreign government. You give me $90 million, I'll put it into one of the packs that I started. And I'll take the head off of any politician who dares to vote against paid family leave or Medicare for all or higher minimum wage, etc. And I would use it to just eliminate any politician I didn't like and support the politicians I do like. I would do the same exact thing, okay? Now, having said that, should we allow it? Of course not. Of course not. And the reason that I would do it is until people went, well, okay, we gotta get money out of politics to get Jenks money out of politics because he's buying all the politicians, he's bragging about it. And he's rubbing it in our face that he now owns the country, right? I would do the same thing on steroids. So I don't blame them, I get it. And by the way, they're motivated by things that are understandable. A lot of them are from that background, and so they have this compassion for Israel. They see October 7th, they get really, you know, Obviously, emotionally moved by that, and they want to support and defend Israel, etc. Okay, 
But if another government did it, would we all be cool with it? The Democratic majority for Turkey, Democratic majority for Saudi Arabia? Well, Democratic no. majority for Iran. I'm so sorry. Iran just comes in and goes, hey, politician, come here, bitch. Here, here's to uh, money. Now you do exactly as Iran commands. That's crazy. That's our system. It's not about APAC. Our system is nuts. We allow open and brazen bribery. All right, we got to take a break. Uh, when we come back, we're actually going to get into a story involving Republican Congressman Mast uh, and the disgusting recent statements he had in regard to Palestinian children who have been getting killed in the Gaza Strip. Don't miss it. Back on TYT, Jenk and Anna with you guys, but also three new American heroes who are helping us to do the honest news coverage that we are. Uh, Jennifer Marcano just signed up by hitting the join button below. We appreciate her. And so did these two hilarious uh, handles, Aussie Budgie Smuggler and Jesus H. Hoover Christ. <laughs> so now that we've got Jesus H. Hoover Christ on our side, we can't go wrong. So love all of our members, hit the join button below and join us. All right, Casper. Well, we genuinely have some disturbing characters in our Congress, and this next figure is really no exception. You haven't what seen the pictures of all the babies being killed? These are not innocent Palestinian the civilians across the world. When you're looking at the half a million people starving to death, are people that should go out there and put a government in place that doesn't go out there and attack Israel on a daily basis. When members of the left-wing activist group Code Pink confronted Republican Congressman Brian Mass for his support for Israel's war on Gaza, his response really did show how heartless he is. Because in the mind of someone like Mast, doesn't matter if you're a literal child who has been killed as a result of a 2,000 pound bomb being dropped on your home or your refugee camp by the IDF. You're all terrorists, Palestinian children, Palestinian women, elderly people in Gaza, doesn't matter, they're all the same, they're all Hamas, they're all terrorists. And if you're not part of Hamas, it's your fault as a Palestinian for not, I guess, orchestrating an uprising to oust Hamas, which has been widely accepted as a terrorist group. Okay, so uh, we have more from what he had to say. Let's just take a quick look at that video and then um, I'm curious what you think, Cenk. You're heartless, you are heartless. You can say Do you realize how heartless you are? It'd be better to kill all the terrorists and kill everyone and their supporters. It's not a solution. Oh, it's a great solution. You haven't seen the pictures of all the babies being killed? These are not innocent Palestinian civilians across the world. When you're looking at the half a million people starving to death, are people that should go out there and put a government in place that doesn't go out there and attack Israel on a daily basis. Kids, so. kids seven-year-olds, nine-year-olds. They destroyed more infrastructure in Gaza than they did in Dresden. So that is like the And there's bomb. more infrastructure they, that they destroyed more of Gaza than what happened in Dresden. Did you not hear? 
there's more that needs to be destroyed. And there will be more that gets destroyed. Yeah, Brian Mass is a... a He's evil, like that was evil. There's yeah. more infrastructure that needs to be destroyed. So look, other than, okay, he's a lunatic. And let me explain uh, the his background a little bit so you uh, begin to understand and then I wanna address the things that he said. Uh, so uh, he not only served in the US military, he served in the IDF. And he wore his IDF uh, military outfit to the United States Congress. Even some Republicans said, Brother, what are you doing? That's, yeah, what country do you serve? Yeah, who who do you serve? Who, what's going on here? And if you think, hey, that sounds like an anti-Semitic trooper. I don't uh, care. Uh, <laughs> Cry uh, more. Cry more about it. Okay, hold okay. on. Hold United on, hold States on, hold Congressman, on, hold you're showing up with military garb from another country in the halls of the Capitol. Okay. Then go live in Israel. It, honestly, if yeah. that's your top priority, go live in Israel because we deserve representatives who represent Americans' best interests. Yeah. So there's the whole thing about dual loyalty and stuff. Well, in this case, he actually literally served in a foreign army and then wore their uniform to a Congress. But get a load of this. I looked it up. It turns out he's not Israeli. He's not even Jewish. He's evangelical Christian. He just despises Muslims. He served with the IDF to attack more Muslims. Wow. Does he believe oh. in the, I mean, he's if he's evangelical, there is a good chance that he believes in this end times theory. Very good chance, and he's a bona fide lunatic. I mean, you see him saying there, we need more to strike. 27,000 dead already, 70% of them are women and children. They asked him about babies and he says they're not innocent. And it's not the first time he said that. Before he compared, you know, Anna's got more on it, but Palestinians, all Palestinian citizens to Nazis, including the babies. How could there be Nazi babies? Look, the guy's like mentally deranged. He's the most racist senator, I mean, congressperson I've seen in a long, long time. He absolutely despises Muslims. He has no business in Congress. He's the worst person I've seen in a long time. And, and so these are the kind of lunatics that run our government. And he is incredibly effective in blocking any humanitarian assistance to the Palestinians. Yeah. So, all right, we've got more details. Before we get to more of his hideous comments and quotes in regard to, again, literal children, I just wanna refresh your memory on how he feels about reproductive rights in America. Because he changes his tune a little bit when it comes to being able to control what women are able to do with their bodies in regard to reproduction. Let's go to graphic four here. He said, no matter the stage, all lives are precious. Years as a combat soldier taught me what it takes to protect life <laughs> and what it is like to see life lost. That's why I can say with complete certainty that dis, uh, dismemberment abortions are a cruel and unusual method of ending a human life and should never be used. So pro-life when it comes to taking away women's rights. But if you wanna murder Palestinian babies, he's all for it because he's pro-life. They're all terrorists after all. I mean, all. because the babies are terrorists, of course. So they need to be murdered and Brian Mass is pro-life, unless it's got dirty Muslim life. In which case, hey, let's drop a bomb on the building and hopefully the concrete will smash the baby's head. And Brian Mass will go, yes, another dead Muslim baby. I love it, I'm pro-life. Are you, Brian, are you? 
you're a sick, demented person. We've got a lot more. So following the October 7th terrorist attacks in Israel, Congress was debating a bill that called the Hamas International Financing, that they called the Hamas International Financing Prevention Act. And the original text in the bill allowed a humanitarian exemption to provide food, medicine, and medical devices to civilians in Gaza. Makes a lot of sense, civilians shouldn't suffer, collective punishment is supposed to be a war crime. Okay, during the committee markup, Representative Brian Mass, the sponsor, offered an amendment to remove the language and replace it with a provision that would require President Joe Biden to issue a case-by-case waiver to approve humanitarian aid transfers. Mass continued on calling for all aid and assistance to be slowed down. So here he is making that case. Any assistance should be slowed down, any assistance. Because I would challenge anybody in here to, mo- to, to point to me which Palestinian is Hamas and which one is an innocent civilian. Which is the one, the, the child that was poking the Israeli children, the, ch- the children that were poking other Israeli children, and which ones exactly are the innocent ones? Which are the ones that were standing by somewhere along the border saying, no, turn around. No, return that person. No, don't take that person hostage. No, don't conduct that rape, that murder, that beheading, that whatever. Of course, uh, some of the claims made there about beheadings later were debunked. But nonetheless, uh, when he got backlash for those statements, basically calling all Palestinians in the Gaza Strip, including literal children terrorists, he uh, decided I'm not gonna apologize, in fact, I'm gonna double down. Let's watch. You know, I think when we look at this as a whole, I would encourage the other side to not so lightly throw around the idea of innocent Palestinian civilians, as is frequently said. I don't think we would so lightly throw around the term innocent Nazi civilians during World War II. There's not this far stretch to say there are very few innocent Palestinian civilians. I haven't seen the videos of the innocent Palestinian civilians that were out there trying to protect the Israelis, that were out there trying to stop the attacks, trying to get the the captives returned instead of being taken into tunnel systems. So all two million plus Palestinians in the Gaza Strip, they're all the same, doesn't matter what their age is, doesn't matter what their life experiences have been, doesn't matter what they've even done in life. They're all the same, they're all terrorists, their lives don't matter at all. But the talking points change once you talk about like reproductive rights, then all of a sudden every life is precious. It's amazing. Yeah. (laughs) If anyone in Congress called all Israelis Nazis, they'd not only be censured, they'd probably be immediately removed from their job. And they should be, that's ridiculous, that's an outrageous thing to say. All Palestinians are Nazis, 
To be fair, Sarah Jacobs, a Democrat, led a censure movement against Brian Mass for that, and we appreciate her. And most of the Democrats voted against him. Now he's a Republican. All the Republicans were like, "Oh, you want to murder all the Palestinian civilians? We love it, love it, support him 100%." And 20 Democrats flipped over to support this monster. Oh, you think that babies are Nazis and we should murder them? Yeah, oh, that's oh, I got. I'm switching parties. I, I got to vote for the Republican. He's such a. He loves murdering Palestinian babies. Oh, I love that guy. No, I'm defying my party. No. And by the way, as you saw there, 450 some odd thousand dollars from Israeli lobbyist interests. But I'm sure that doesn't affect him either. In this case, he really might not because he's a monster and he seems to enjoy killing innocent civilians. So. Uh, so they might, I mean, the $450,000 yeah. is just icing on the cake. Uh, the people who protected him from censure and who, by the way, he won on blocking humanitarian assistance. He won, he blocked it. Yep. So, so some people took money from APAC, etc. And they're doing it because they're crooks. Most, most of our politicians are crooks, but guys like Mast just love it. And so and he uses terrorist logic, Hamas logic. He says, well, the Palestinians didn't stop their government from doing it or their kids not even a government from Hamas from doing it. That's literally what Hamas says when they go to kill Israeli civilians. They go, the civilians voted for this right wing government that brutalizes us and occupies us and kills us. So the Israeli civilians had it coming. And when they do that, we and everyone else goes, that's outrageous. You can't hold the civilians accountable. You can't kill innocent civilians in Israel. Is that? Returned in kind? No, no, that's right. You're never allowed to touch a single Israeli civilian. Good, wonderful, right? But Palestinian civilians, murder them, murder them, murder them. Who cares? Who cares? You These know, are the monsters that are our leaders in Congress in America. It's just revolting. He says, why don't the Palestinians just have a government that supports Israel? Yeah, that's what happens a lot, right? Like when black people in South Africa during apartheid, well, they didn't love the white oppressors enough, they didn't love them enough. Why didn't you love them? It's your fault, we should have apartheid forever. By the way, they actually did use that logic. Oh, You hate us, you guys are all no good terrorists. So we have to occupy, we have to do apartheid for longer because you guys hate us. Okay, crush them and then, oh, you don't love us enough. And again, it's totally Hamas logic. And how the hell are they supposed to do government anyway? You obliterated the whole place. There is no way that the Palestinians can form a government. Israel wouldn't allow it. If they tried to form a government, Israel would murder everyone in the government. So what the hell are they supposed to do? But Mass doesn't care, he just wants to see dead Muslim babies. Yeah, look, final thing I'll say about it is, I feel like for many decades now, humans were under the impression that we were so much more sophisticated and had I guess evolved so much since the atrocities that were committed during the Holocaust. I oftentimes would think about what happened to Armenians during the genocide and think like an atrocity like that can't possibly happen again. No, we have to be realistic about what some portions of humanity entails. And while we might look at the images of like these children suffering, I mean, there's now humanitarian organizations who are trying to find ways to provide aid to children who are now the caregivers of their younger siblings because their parents have been killed. I just, 
I don't know how you look at that and you think, oh, they deserved it because they're all terrorists. But look, people like Mast will use any excuse to justify what's currently happening, and they'll pat themselves on the back and think that what they're, you know, urging for is somehow just and okay. But it's make no mistake, the slaughter of innocent people. He is gleefully supporting the slaughter of innocent people. And in the end, everyone loses. The civilians in Israel lose. This is not going to keep them safe. Their government is inviting more hostility toward them. Our unwavering support for this disgusting far right government in Israel is leading to hostility toward us in the United States. And it's embarrassing and shameful on the international stage as the US continues to veto UN Security Council votes to force Israel to rein this in. It's embarrassing and shameful and awful. And as someone who has ancestors who suffered from a genocide, I'm so gross to live in a country that has a government that's now aiding and abetting a genocide. And yeah, I'm gonna call it a genocide. I don't know what else you can call it. What else can you call it? They want to slaughter and wipe out everyone in that little strip of land. And whoever manages to survive, they wanna push them out of the land entirely. So ethnic cleansing at best, genocide at worst. Congratulations, America. Are we proud of how we appear on the international stage? Because I certainly am not. And I'll leave you with this thought. You think that if guys like Brian Mast had complete power in America, that they would just stop at Palestinians? That they wouldn't call people who disagree with them here at home terrorists? And that they wouldn't suggest that we should do things to those terrorists to get them under control and and have them know who's in charge? And all they understand is violence and that's why we had to imprison them and kill them. You sure he wouldn't do it here at home? I'm nearly positive he would. To anyone who isn't in his very specific group or allied with that group, this is a you, you see what, when yeah, I look, look at Brian Mast, I see the face of evil. Listen, I hope I'm wrong about heaven and hell. Because for the first time in my life, I hope hell does exist. And that's where Brian Mast should end up. We gotta take a break, we'll be right back. All right, back on TYT, Jenk and Anna with you guys, but also Jody and DLB. They just became Young Turks members. Look, every member makes our honest news coverage possible. And we try to bring a little bit of hope and positive change in the world. And every member should be proud that they helped to do that. Hit the join button below or tyt.com slash join. And I wanna thank Loyal Adams, Anime, Chikoy, and BH for gifting membership. BH gifted 10 and noted, not the Golf Channel. Okay, all right, we appreciate you guys, Anna. Well, we have an update on a school shooter and a prosecutor's decision to prosecute his parents. So let's get to it. Later in the thread, you say, um, don't do it. So when you hear there's an open shooter at the school, I wanna know in your mind, what do you believe is happening? Well, my, my husband had called me when I was still at work, and he said there's there's an active shooter at Oxford High School and I can't get a hold of Ethan. And that's when I opened my phone and I saw the I love you. My husband called me and he asked me where I hid the bullets, and I told him, and then he said the, the gun is missing. 
Today, Jennifer Crumbly, who is the mother of school shooter Ethan Crumbly, took the stand in a rare case of a shooter's parent facing criminal charges. Now, both she and her husband, James Crumbly, who's Ethan's father, face charges of involuntary manslaughter. Prosecutors are alleging that they both failed to address their son's mental health concerns and even went so far as to buy the very murder weapon for their son in spite of his mental health concerns. Ethan Crumbly tragically shot and killed four people on November 30th of 2021. He also faced prosecution and is serving time in prison for his crime. Jennifer Crumbly didn't pull the trigger that day, but she's responsible for their deaths. Assistant Oakland County Prosecutor Mark Keast said during the, his opening statements and prosecutors had shown the jury photos photos the prosecutors had shown the jury photos of Crumbly's phone of both her and her husband's husband riding their horses in March of 2021 a computer crimes expert testified that they were taken at the same time that their son was texting his mother about seeing demons in their house writing the house is haunted and asking her can you at least text back? Jennifer stated that she had seen the text, but believed Ethan was not being serious because messing with us was his personality and their house was their house being haunted was a running joke. A day after Thanksgiving, prosecutors say that James and Jennifer Crumbly bought their son a nine millimeter SIG SAR. That Monday, a teacher at Oxford High School, this is in Michigan, said she saw Ethan searching online for ammunition. The following day, a teacher said she found a note on Ethan's desk with a drawing of a gun and a person who was shot and messages including, the thoughts won't stop, help me. The discovery prompted the school to summon the parents for a meeting, but school officials testified that they declined to bring him home because they had to go back to work. Now let's get back to the trial, which I'm happy is actually happening. I was curious if the prosecution was gonna go forward with prosecuting the parents here, and they are. And today on the stand, Crumbly denied wanting to leave her son at school, saying her son got very stressed when doing school virtually. She said they all agreed it would be better for him to remain at school in person surrounded by students. But unfortunately, Ethan would go on to commit the school shooting later that afternoon. We've got more details, Jenk. How about you jump in? Yeah. So, look, prosecuting parents could get a little dicey, obviously, but this is as stark a case as you could imagine, and and that's why they're going after the parents. Because remember, they pull them in and say, "Look, we're worried that your son's a danger to himself and to others," and they go, "Nah, don't care," and they leave. They joke around on the text about the guns. The parents do with the son. Yep. They ignore every warning, instead go enjoy themselves. But on top of that, she had the temerity in this case to say that the school didn't warn her enough. <laughs> but we just showed you, the school told her, he wrote, the thoughts won't stop, help me. And the parents refused to help him or the school. They just left, it turned out he had the gun that they gave him in his backpack. And that's who he killed everybody with later that day. It seems like he was also asking them for help in in the text message exchange. Yeah, yeah. He's not just asking generically and the school, he's asking his parents for help. I know, yeah. And and they just won't give it to him and they think it's fun and funny to give him a gun 
and and not to pay any attention. So if ever there was a parent responsible for a shooting, this looks like the case. And remember, after the shooting happened, he fled and his parents fled with him, remember? Mm -hmm. They were at large for a while, but later, later the police discovered where they were and they were arrested. Last winter, Ethan Crumbly, the shooter, pleaded guilty and received life in prison without the possibility of parole. James and Jennifer Crumbly, his parents, failed to show up for their arraignment in late 2021, prompting the manhunt that I was referencing earlier, and then that led to their arrest. Crumbly testified that she planned to turn herself in one day after charges were filed against her. However, she said she didn't feel safe to turn themselves in on the day they were charged because everyone in the state knew that they were expected to turn themselves in. I hear from right wingers that if you evade the police, you they're allowed to shoot you in the back. Like do not run from the cops ever. And if you do, you have it coming, right? She ran from the cops. I know, but I don't want anyone shot. No, in the no, back. of course don't shoot <laughs> her in the back for God's sake. We're principled. I'm just referring to their hypocrisy. But yeah. yes, no, I don't care. Oh, I didn't feel safe turning myself in. Oh, I didn't realize we were asking your permission. Look, look, there's some, every piece of evidence seems to indicate that she, she lacks all empathy for other human beings, right? Like she just thinks everything is optional. I don't have to do that. I don't have to do that. I only have to take care of myself. Oh, you guys all died? Well, that's, I guess that's your problem. So look, I think. What she and her husband did in ignoring their son's mental health issues and then proceeding to buy him a firearm as he's suffering from mental health issues. I think what they did was wrong and I'm not trying to defend them, okay? But I wanna be fair and yes, the comments that she's making here, she's seeking to defend herself. I watched some footage from her testimony today. I also watched footage of her reaction to surveillance of the school shooting itself. She's sobbing, she's crying, so I don't wanna pretend as if she's like some sociopath that had absolutely no emotion. She did, but what she and her husband did, I believe, was wrong, and we'll see how the jury feels about it. But you know, I wanna go to more of the footage from the courtroom because here's what she said on the stand today when asked if she thought her son ever even needed mental health treatment. Did you ever believe that your son needed mental health treatment, therapy, counseling, anything? No, I mean, there's a couple of times where Ethan had expressed anxiety over taking tests, um, anxiety about what he was gonna do after high school, whether it was college, uh, military. So he expressed those, those concerns to me. Um, but not, not to a level where I felt he needed to go see a psychiatrist or a mental health professional right away, no. Did you ever deny him or say, no, I'm not gonna take you to a mental health professional? Did he ever ask you? No, I mean, he, one time um, when he was talking about what he wanted to do for, the, for his future, I don't know, he just, he was feeling really down about it, stressed. Um, we did, we did, my husband did call his school counselor to try to talk to him because they do a lot of future academic planning with the tech school. Um, 
Was that a mental health issue? No, it was more or less addressing what was upsetting my son at that time. He just he was just having a hard time with his future goals. It seems like there was more going on than him just having a hard time with his future goals. When he's asking for help, when he's, you know, drawing these disturbing images, maybe take it seriously. Crumbly also stated, "Well, I don't think I'm a failure as a parent." Oh, come on! I know, I know. I wouldn't have done anything differently in how done anything differently in how she parented her son. She regrets what he did. I wish he would have killed us instead, she said on the on the stand. And then finally, she also said, I don't want to say that I'm a victim because I do not want to disrespect the families that truly are the victims in this, but we did lose a lot. You lost everything, her lawyer Shannon Smith asked. We did, Crumbly said. Aww. If found guilty, the Crumblies face up to 15 years in prison for unintentional manslaughter and a $7,500 fine for each of the four charges. Yeah, look, I believe in the jury system, even though they seem to make decisions sometimes that based on the evidence that we have seem curious. OJ Simpson, Kyle Rittenhouse come to mind. But I do know whenever they're in court, they're always crying. Right, so she's crying now, Rittenhouse, oh, oh, oh. then they get out of court, Rittenhouse goes around like he's a hero for killing those people. So the jury decides what they decide, and in this case, they'll decide what they, and they have access to more information than we do. Let's be fair on that too. But to me, when she says, I wouldn't have done anything differently, okay, I mean, that to me is probably enough if I was sitting on the jury. Okay, you're a sociopath. You wouldn't, You still would have given him the gun? You still would have given him the gun? Guilty, get the out of here. Imagine that's one of your kids who was killed by this clown that comes in and goes, "Oh yeah, my mentally ill son, I still would have given him a weapon so he could murder your kids. Oh, but I lost everything. Oh, I used to be rich, but now I'm not. I don't know what her wealth status I don't think was. She, I don't think they were right. rich. Whatever the hell she was, she's riding horses, having a good time. Okay, so whatever it is, I don't believe her. I don't believe any of the nonsense theatrics in court. But let the jury decide. But here, I'll conclude on this. If you're like her and you have a child that has mental health issues prone to violence, mental health is a very wide spectrum. And that has said, please help me in talking about maybe hurting other people. Do not buy them a gun. Like I have to explain this in America because there's a giant percentage of the country that have lost their minds. And they're like, I forgot what the question is, but the answer is weaponry. The answer is guns and bullets and, and killing other people. But I, who cares what the question was? So they think it's perfectly normal to take a mentally ill 15 year old and hand him a gun. And they'd say, I'd do it again, even after he killed other people's kids. Sick. All right, we gotta take a break. When we come back, there was some Trump supporters at a rally that our very own Michael Shore spoke to. And they like some of what we say here at TYT, but you'd be maybe surprised at what they pointed to. So let's get to that and more when we come back after this break. Back 
on TYT. First of all, I want to, uh, the ultra human I just joined on TYT.com, and I love that. Thank you for doing that. Uh, Frank and J1 uh, made a contribution on TYT.com. Thank you guys. You guys are the best. And then on YouTube, Red Death. Ooh, we got Red Death on our side. Interesting. Uh, they hit the join button below. All right, Anna. All right, we've got more to get to. I love how some of the progressives, the Young Turks, sometimes they talk about those interests. Who are all the billionaires putting all their money behind right now? Oh, Nikki Haley. Now, there are some people are switching over because they see what Trump is offering. But you have this huge establishment agenda to push forward Nikki Haley instead of President Trump. Believe it or not, that was a Trump supporter who attended a Trump rally in New Hampshire. He was speaking to Michael Shore and it's kind of surprising, right, to hear that he enjoys some of the things that TYT has to say, namely when we discuss topics pertaining to corruption of our political system and of our politicians. Now, you just heard his thoughts on Republican presidential candidate Nikki Haley. Let's hear what he has to say about Joe Biden. And Biden, he can't claim to represent the people. He doesn't even show up and see them ever. He's literally just, everyone knows he's a puppet. He can't even walk, he can't even talk. The puppet of whom? All of the interests that I'm talking about. You know, you have these built-in interests within the administrative system. You can't get anything done in this country. We haven't built any nuclear. They're trying to shut down our energy. It's sad. Shout out to nuclear, because I agree with him that we should um, shift to nuclear, at least in the short term, as we develop alternate forms of energy. Uh, I don't think that degrowth or you know living differently is a, is a selling point for most Americans. They're not gonna wanna sign on to that. They're not gonna wanna change their lifestyles. Besides which, uh, it forcing people to make individual changes to their lives, uh, in my opinion, isn't gonna solve the problem. We do need a, a different way of providing energy that isn't dependent on fossil fuels and nuclear energy is a clean energy source. But anyway, Cenk, I'm curious what you think before we get to the next video because um, you know his solutions for all of this, I definitely disagree with, uh, but you know, yeah. it's it's interesting because I see a lot of this among not all Trump supporters. Don't get me wrong, but there is a portion of Trump supporters who have bought into his anti-corruption, drain the swamp messaging. Yeah, and they're concerned about a lot of the similar things that we're concerned about in our political system. It's just that they have this faith that Trump is going to fix it, even though he didn't at all in the first term. No, look, I gotta be honest, I love that interview. It confirmed so many of the things that I've told you a 100 times on the show, right? So first of all, he was partly right, and a lot of MAGA is partly right, which they're really pissed about corruption. And when he, Michael, I'm really glad Michael followed up and said, who's the puppet, You know, who's he getting? Who's controlling the puppet if Biden's a puppet, right? And you could have had a lot of bad answers there. Right, and I've heard a lot of bad answers. Mm -hmm. And by the way, one of the most popular theories now is that Obama is secretly controlling Biden. But I do like that they switched up the racial stereotypes so that black people are in charge of the whole country. Okay, so that's a nice twist, right? So, but yes, you hear a lot of folks say anti-Semitic things at that point, etc. But he he said the correct thing, which is the donors. Well, and that's true. And and so, but what he doesn't know is. But Donald Trump also takes money from donors. In fact, he took over $100 million from Sheldon Adelson twice, in 2016 and 2020. Why might he not know that, Jenk? 
Number one, because the Democrats never talk about it because they also take donor money. So they voluntarily give up the best thing to say about Donald Trump. The thing that would convince most people that he's actually corrupt. And you look at the- Okay, but why else? Okay, and 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 media never wants to cover corruption because almost all of that money goes to media in, in terms of ads. So media is never gonna talk about it and Democrats are never gonna talk about it. Certainly the Republicans are never gonna talk about it and right wing media isn't gonna talk about it. So that's why they never get the correct information. So that guy looks like he could actually get to the right place if he had all the info. So for on nuclear, he's not wrong. You know, that's an interesting debate. I'm not 100% sold in either direction. I think Anna makes compelling points there. But he then talks about how there's a kind of a little bit of a conspiracy against nuclear, coal, and oil, etc., by the green energy folks. No, brother, there's oil subsidies to the tune of about $24 billion every year where they take taxpayer money, they take your money and give it to the richest people in the country who run oil companies when they don't need it at all. So if he had all the, and it's not all of MAGA, but a significant percentage of MAGA, if they had the correct information, would actually be on our side. Problem is, yes, like it's true that no one has perfect information. That is a growing problem in the country as we continuously exist in our own filter bubbles, as we get one narrative and one narrative only. I mean, let's just keep it real, guys. I mean, you're not even, if you work in political news, and this has become increasingly and abundantly clear to me, you have to pick a side and you have to constantly prove how pure you are in defending that one side. You're never allowed to point to the other side when they maybe make a good point. You're never allowed to you know, deviate even a little bit from the predetermined default talking points on your political side. I know because I experience it personally almost on a regular basis now. So think about the kind of media he's likely consuming. He's getting one side and that one side consists of Donald Trump talking about draining the swamp, talking about how corruption is a problem. Now, does he actually wanna do something about it? He had an opportunity, he didn't do something about it. He is one of the swamp monsters and always has been as someone who inherited tremendous wealth from his papa. So with that said, what is this Trump supporters solution as we barrel toward the 2024 general election? Let's watch. The media has been freaking out because Donald Trump, he said that he's gonna be a dictator on day one and day one only. I love that, you know, I want a president who's gonna go in there and he's going to fix this situation. The executive government is supposed to represent the will of the people and who we elected and we elected President Trump. So all of these people that are coming in the executive administration and cutting down him within his own, within his own cabinet, this is ridiculous and those a lot of these people need to be fired and replaced with loyalists like me like him like real patriots that are actually going to represent this country and put our agenda forward to make america great again period so he had four years to do that and you're saying he didn't what makes you think differently this time 
because this time we're going to fire the people. Vivek came up with great plans and there's an effort, Project 2025, a lot of the liberals are freaking out about it. We're going to go in the government, we're going to fire the administrative state that is within the executive branch that is elected by former presidents, both Republicans and Democrats, the establishment, the Bush Republicans, they have them locked in there. And then they cut down on the president and President Trump's agenda. So a lot of what he said there was a little bit scary, okay? But I'm gonna focus on one one main thing that he said. What? Which is the excuse that he has provided for why Trump failed to do what he promised to do in his first term. And it's this idea that his administration was stacked to the full to the brim with people against him who were working against him and his agenda. And as a result of that, he was unable to accomplish what he had set out to accomplish. Obviously, that's not true. There are examples of people who are in Trump's administration who would hear him out as he proposed crazy things like, you know, doing a nuclear bomb on a hurricane or something, right? Like, yeah. and they would say, oh, yeah, we got it. Don't worry. We'll definitely carry that out. And then they would ignore it because it was lunacy. Like, you're not going to do that. But the other thing that I get from that, Jenk, is honestly something I see on the left too. Once the person is set in supporting something or being against something, any excuse is good enough to provide cover for what, what they support, right? In this case, he loves Trump, he supports Trump. Trump failed in the first term to provide the you know agenda items that he purported to care so much about. But he'll find an excuse, his supporter will find an excuse. And in this case, the excuse is, well, he had people working against him in the administration. Yeah, so there are two things about that. One is about that point. I actually think that he got super lucky because the establishment wound up providing just enough of a break in his car. So for example, and I give you dozens of these examples. At one point in a meeting, he says, you know what, our nuclear stockpile, I want it to be 10x, 10 times what it is today. People are like, that would, you have no idea how much that would cost. That would bankrupt the whole country, right? He's like, I don't care, get it done. And then they walk out of the meeting, Rex Tillerson, who was the Secretary of State at the time, says, what an effing idiot. And they all decide to ignore him because they don't have, we don't have that money and you need Congress to pass it. He doesn't know anything, right? So they served as a break in his car so he couldn't get his this mental things done that he wanted to do. And he loves being in charge unilaterally, i.e. dictator. That's why he talks about it. That's why they're excited about it. So next time though, there's not gonna be any breaks in the car. Next time is going to be an epic disaster. And so when it comes to this guy, it's not because he complimented us. Guys, you saw the clip there yourself. He's worried about corruption and there's a second thing he's worried about. And you know how worried I am about that Trump actually becoming a dictator, right? But I realized watching this and all the other things that I looked at, Oh, I get why they now have a negative view of democracy. I couldn't understand it because my whole life Republicans have been like America, democracy, the Constitution. And now they hate democracy. That's so weird, right? And it's because they think democracy equals no action. Because of what our government has been doing for the last 40 years, which is no action. And why do they do no action? Not because of democracy, but because the Supreme Court killed democracy by allowing open bribery. 
and money in politics. So the status quo does not want anything to change because the people at the top are already at the top. They don't want to move from the top. That's why they instruct all the politicians, do not change anything and keep us at the top. So now a giant section of the American people think, oh, democracy means we'd never get what we want. So why don't we try a dictator because he might do what we want and he could actually get it done. Now they'll regret that later. I mean, two, 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 I hope it never comes to that. But later they'll be like, well, I didn't know that it meant that he could just arrest anyone he wants or kill anyone he wants and that we were never gonna have another election. I thought we were electing a dictator. Now, a lot of them won't think that, they'll think, yes, we're back in charge. But a lot of guys like this are gonna be shocked to find out what a dictator actually means. All right, I want to move on to the next story. There is some disturbing news out of the state of Florida. Last week, Florida's Department of Highway Safety and Motor Vehicles released a memo stating that transgender Floridians could in fact be punished by civil or criminal, criminal penalties if their identified gender does not match the one listed on their driver's license. Imagine thinking that this warrants any attention, any criminal penalties, it's insane. Now, this is what the Florida policy on the matter used to be prior to the memo. If a Floridian had a physician's certified letter stating that they were undergoing clinical treatment for gender transition, they could change their gender on their license. Well, that has been scrapped now. So the Florida Department of Highway Safety and Motor Vehicles you know, puts out this order, this memo, permitting an individual to alter his or her license to reflect an internal sense of gender role or identity, which is neither immutable nor objectively verifiable, undermines the purpose of an identification record and can frustrate the state's ability to enforce its laws. Does it? How so? How so? But let me continue. So the deputy executive director of the agency, his name is Robert Kynock, also argued that the term gender is historically and commonly been understood as a synonym for sex. Gender and sex are two different things, right? Gender is in your mind, sex is your your biology. And according to him, that made up reason is why Floridians shouldn't be able to list a gender on their license that does not match their biological sex. But the memo even gets worse. Misrepresenting one's gender understood as sex on a driver's license or driver license constitutes fraud and subjects an offender to criminal and civil penalties, including cancellation, suspension, or revocation of his or her driver's license. And the insane policy raises several questions which have thus far not been answered at all. The policy doesn't specify whether a trans Floridian who already changed their sex on their driver's license would be committing fraud by continuing to use said license. And the policy really doesn't benefit anyone. I just feel like it's ridiculous, gratuitous, and causes a lot of harm and a lot of heartache and a lot of instability in the lives of people who just want to—they just want to live their lives without this nonsense. And 
Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, go so, ahead, Jake. So look, I think this is one of the scarier stories in a, in a while, and uh, I want to tell you all the ramifications here because political prisoners can start soon. Um, and so, but before that, I just want to let you know we want to cover the story more in depth. You know, uh, we've had uh, issues uh, lately in terms of digital uh, media, etc. Uh, in, in hard times, so. We know people in Florida who are trans who are thinking of leaving the state and we'd love to go cover it. If you guys want to chip in to make that possible, go to tyt.com slash Florida. And then obviously we'll put that report up on our YouTube channel and everywhere else that we do the show. tyt.com slash Florida to help us do that video on them. Now, let me tell you why this is so scary. So on the first of all, you've got the Republicans in Florida saying, big government is awesome and it should tell you who you are, it should tell you what to feel, it should tell you what gender you are, and big government doesn't care what you think or your stupid freedom. These are right wingers, they love to talk about freedom, but the minute anyone doesn't agree with them, they wanna take their freedom away. So that's a giant problem, okay? But the second problem is much bigger. So if at some point a cop pulls over a person who's trans, and they decide that they have the wrong gender on their driver's license, they can arrest them for fraud. Fraud is a felony. They can get up to five years in prison. Are they gonna start pulling trans people over and start arresting them and putting them in prison in Florida? What kind of country are we now? What, what lunacy is this? Every trans person arrested on this would be a political prisoner, and by the way, also a religious prisoner. This is the Taliban. It just flat out American Taliban, you know. And then you see them say things like, "Oh yeah, Hamas throws gay people off of buildings. Oh, that's why we have to kill innocent Palestinians, right?" And then they're like, "Oh, trans people just arrest them for being trans. Who cares? Stuff into prison. They don't agree with my religious views, so we should arrest them." So, it's it's here. It's not coming later. And people used to say Ron DeSantis is a fascist. I say, guys, you don't overuse words. Donald Trump actually tried to end democracy, he's a fascist. So I hate DeSantis, but I don't know that he's done anything that qualifies as fascist. Well, you start taking political prisoners and putting people in jail for five years because you think they're the, you don't agree with their, what's in their minds and how they wanna live their lives and who they are. You're basically putting them in prison for who they are. And yes, that is fascism. So look, Florida is in a lot of ways a beautiful state and I lived there for a while and I loved it. That was a long time ago, but now they've ruined it. Now, how can any trans person live there? All right, go ahead, Ann. All right, and um, just to give you a, form, a few more details about the story, this isn't even the first time that a Florida executive agency has taken action against trans Floridians. Uh, the Agency for Health uh, Care Administration prohibited Medicaid from covering gender dysphoria treatments after an internal process that veered from agency norms. Um, and before a law last year banned children from receiving medical treatment for gender dysphoria, the state's medical boards prohibited the practice. So um, that's what's happening in Florida. I guess this is a, a top priority for them, even when I'm sure there are other far more pressing issues that they could turn their attention to. Instead, harassing transgender drivers and what they have on their driver's license is what they're gonna focus their attention on. This is the problem with the right wing, man. So because 
Look, if you did the old school right wing stuff, anti-crime, blah, 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 we might disagree. It's on around the edges or something, but it would be, and oh, hey, let's not spend too much, let's not tax too much. We might disagree on some of the specifics, but that these days that might even be popular, okay? But when you go and say, okay, we hate certain groups and we're gonna take away their freedom and we're gonna stuff them into prison because we don't agree with them. It makes it impossible to support the right wing. It makes it impossible to be a Republican because basically now when you say, okay, I'm a Republican, it sounds like you're, you wanna be a fascist who despises freedom. Now with Trump hates democracy. Well, what's left of this Republican party? So, okay, if, if this is what, if you know this news story and you think trans people should be put in jail for five years because you disagree with what they think they are, you don't believe in freedom at all. You love the tyranny of big government. Don't show me those don't tread on me flags and stuff. Don't pretend you care about democracy and America. You don't love this country. So it's impossible to be a Republican these days because they have this wing of their party who just loves to hate people that aren't like them. All right, we gotta take a break. When we come back, we'll talk about the 19 year old son of an Israeli diplomat in Florida who purposely ran over a cop and might not face any charges for it. Come right back. TYT, Jank, Anna, and look at all these wonderful people who made a donation on tyt.com slash join. TJ, Jazzy, J, Art Guy, Frank and J1, Scuba Steve, Donna Delayed. Scuba Steve? Yeah. Gave a donation? Yeah. I see you, Scuba Steve, I see you. <laughs> I see all of you. Donna Delayed, TCH Hype, Diana Free Spirit, all of you guys, thank you. And if you make a donation of $50 or more or become an annual member right now, and these things go away, they really do. Right now you can get a gift, it's a cool little gift. Hope you guys enjoy it. And then on YouTube, Paul Fredrickson joined by hitting the join button below. And Sam Monica gave a gift membership and we appreciate you. And I have to read this comment, Funky Dragon on Twitch says, Cenk doesn't get enough credit for being hilarious. He makes me crack up more than anyone else on TYT. I didn't say a word. Other people are saying it. I'm just on Burgundy will read anything. One, one person said it. Other no, others have said it at different occasions. Mm. Okay. 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 Funky Dragon, love you. Okay. <laughs> what's next? All right. This story is unbelievable, but I, I mean, it's anyway. All right. So, earlier this week, a 19-year-old son of an Israeli diplomat allegedly ran over a Florida police officer intentionally because he quote, hates waiting behind traffic, end quote. Oh. Same, same, hate, hate being stuck in traffic, have to deal with it every single day. Haven't really run anyone over though. Yeah, <laughs> haven't let done alone that. a cop. <laughs> yeah, wouldn't even consider it. Now his name is Avraham Gill and his charges could be dropped due to the fact that his father is a diplomat. And apparently ah, his I love that mugshot though. His father has immunity. <laughs> Dude, I just, this is amazing. Okay, so Gil has actually been involved in at least two other run-ins with the law, including at one point fleeing police when they attempted to pull him over as he was riding his motorcycle. 
Um, and here are the details on the latest incident, which took place on January 27th. So a lieutenant was conducting a traffic stop on a main road when he saw Gil like weaving through traffic. Um, so at that point, he motioned for Gil to stop. Reportedly, Gil didn't stop. He continued to ride and then intentionally ran him over. There are images of the police officer injured. Gill was charged with aggravated battery on a law enforcement officer and resisting an officer with violence, both felonies according to court records. Gill told officers he was weaving through the vehicles because he hates waiting behind traffic. And the officer did sustain incapacitating injuries to his left leg but was able to grab Gil off of his bike and brought him to the ground. So that is what you're seeing in the images. I mean, you can't really tell that the police officer is injured there, but that's what they're saying. And you see the motorcycle belonging to Gil on the left-hand side of the screen. Now, following his arrest, Gil was seen showing like no emotion during his initial court appearance. It was more like, all right, when are we gonna wrap this up? When is this gonna be over with? And apparently there's a big possibility that the charges could be dropped because his father, Eli Gill, is a consulate general of Israel in Miami. So because of his father's diplomatic status, Gill's lawyers argue that the teen's charges should be dropped as they claim Miami-Dade law doesn't apply to him. Doesn't apply to him. So mm. laws in in on land here in the United States doesn't apply to the 19-year-old son of an Israeli diplomat who intentionally ran a police officer over. Okay. Okay, I've got details on that because that might not be the case. So family members forming part of the household of diplomatic agents enjoy precisely the same privileges and immunities as do the sponsoring diplomatic agents according to the US State Department's diplomatic and consular immunity. That can't be true. That can't cover all crimes. It, it can't, it, it can't, that's crazy, Jake. So look, here's why it might not apply to him. And so he might have miscalculated in a big way. And who knows, I mean, look, his only hope is that he's Israeli. Anyways, so, and he's in Florida. And I'll explain that in a second as well. So in his case, it might not apply because his dad is not, might not be in the upper echelon of diplomats that diplomatic immunity applies to. It doesn't apply to everyone in the in in their consulate, okay? It applies above a certain level. So his dad might be a little bit lower than that level, so he might not have immunity. But if he was like for example the ambassador to America or some other higher level diplomats, yes, their family does have immunity. That's insane. They can kill people and then no, we can't Jake, prosecute that's them. insane. That's insane. It's happened No, before. we need to change that. We need to change <laughs> that immediately, like right now. That should be the top priority. But How I, can we have diplomats and their random family members come into the country, break all sorts of laws and there's no consequences for it? There's a that's reason absurd. Why. There's a reason why. So and and they abuse the hell out of it in New York. There's been legendary stories of diplomats and their family members getting thousands of parking tickets. And they never pay them, so they'll park in the middle of the street in the most outrageous ways, block traffic, etc. But the legitimate reason for it is because we're worried that if we have diplomats in, let's say, the Gulf, right, and they're in the United Arab Emirates and they violate a law there, like kissing their wife in public. Oh my God! Then they could, they might have to serve like a ten-year sentence or something. And by the way, I'm not making that up. Like there are a lot of 
uh, times in the Gulf where people have been arrested for kissing in public and then have to serve this draconian sentence. So in order to protect our diplomats, we have to protect their diplomats. And they view our laws, not all, but some as absurd, etc. Abolish diplomats. <laughs> okay, well, no, it's absurd. less likely. Why, less what, likely. What, what, what are the diplomats doing? Are they maintaining peace in the world? Mm -hmm. Okay, look, I'm being half serious. I'm not being completely serious, but no, this is insane. This is insane. This is not okay. There needs to be certain exceptions. Like, I don't know, rape, murder, running a police officer over, you know, that, that, those kinds of things. Yeah. Sorry for all the fundamentalists who get offended by a man kissing his wife. Get the F over it, okay? But like the idea that someone can cause harm like this to another human being, to a red blooded American on US soil, and it's totally okay. No, I'm not all right with that. Yeah. That 19 year old should be in prison. Well, again, good news, he might be. We'll see how it turns out. But I'm gonna tell you more about the guy and, and why he might have acted in the way that he did. And that'll probably get Anna even more angry. He's done this three times run from cops. Wait, it gets worse. His vanity license plate is please chase. Guys, come on. Okay. Bounds of reason though, bounds of reason. <laughs> okay, so now why, why does this kid think that he's above the law? Well, three reasons. Because One, I guess he is. Because he might literally be above the law. So I've interacted with some diplomats families too, a tiny bit, tiny bit. I'm not, I'm, but mainly I've read about it, right? And. Yeah, a lot of them feel like they're above the law because they literally are. So they feel like in the host country they could do anything they want. And depending on how arrogant and rich, etc., they are, the more the liberties they take with the law. So that's point one. Number two, look, Israel has not been held accountable on anything for so long. So there's some chance that the people that are in Israeli government think there is no accountability for anything, right? Now, the third thing is, might be generally a Middle Eastern thing, so I'll throw myself under the bus here too. So in Turkey, I know a lot of dudes when we were growing up who never stopped for the cops. And they thought it was super fun to get into a chase with the cops, okay? And they would do that all the time. So it might be a Middle Eastern thing. <laughs> so not, don't put all the blame on just Israelis. And then why did I say his best chance is being in Israeli because in Florida, they pass laws saying you're not even allowed to protest the Israeli government. If you do, you might be arrested. So like, even in Florida, the laws are so weighted towards that particular country that who knows? I don't know if they're gonna pull, You know, even if he doesn't qualify under diplomatic immunity, you really think the Israeli government's gonna let him go to jail? In Florida with DeSantis in I, charge? Listen, listen, if- it is unlikely, you're right, it's unlikely that Israel would put this Israeli teenager behind bars for running over, you know, just an American cop. Who cares? I look, just an American. Nah. You know, what good are Americans for? They just fund our wars, you know. They just hand over billions of dollars every year to us so we can slaughter Palestinian children in the Gaza Strip and the West Bank, by the way. Listen, the only real purpose for government. Like the core, the one thing every American seems to agree on, left, right, doesn't matter, is that they're supposed to protect the American people. The idea that we should allow diplomats and their random family members to commit whatever crime they want against Americans on American soil with impunity is insane. That yeah. is insane. It's infuriating, it is, there's no question about it. The only part of the story I liked was, after he thought like he was above the law, and when he found out he wasn't, and they went and t took the mugshot of him, 
He started weeping uncontrollably. Yeah, cry more, <laughs> bitch. <laughs> That's the only part of the story that I enjoyed. So guys, it's not, again, the diplomatic immunity has nothing to do with Israel overall. They Every country has diplomatic immunity. And again, I mean, my personal experience, I've seen the Saudis abuse it more than anyone else. Um, but in the case of Florida, where they have passed specific laws, that where it, it appears the Israeli government has tremendous power, I would be shocked for going to an Israeli prison. No way. So if, I'd be shocked if he went to an American prison. Shocked. Another question for you. So can an American run his ass over? Uh, no, then you'll be in a lot of trouble. Oh, that's really interesting. Okay, yeah. make sure you wear a, a mask when you do it. Don't do it. Don't, don't do, do it. it. I'm don't not advocating it. for that. Okay, and don't don't do anything to cops like that. That's nuts. And don't have a vanity license plate that says "Please chase." Okay. Piece of garbage. Anyway. Yes. All right. In the bonus episode, um, don't tease anything because I don't know what I want to talk about yet. Okay. But it's gonna be it's gonna be lit. Lit. The bonus episode is gonna be lit. Burrito like season. We're gonna talk about burrito season. There you it's go. It's a thing. Okay. Finally, a light story <laughs> that we're all gonna enjoy over a good burrito, but not yet because you don't know when burrito season is. All right. Tyt.com/slash/join to become an American hero. We'll see you there.